Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Hi, everybody. I hope you're doing great. I hope your family's doing well and everything's working out for you. I know this is a crazy time, but I am excited that this morning we get to continue in our study on the book of Galatians. So if you've missed out on part of this series, we're winding down. We just have one more week after today in the book of Galatians. If you've missed it, I encourage you to find our podcast in any of these places and you can catch up and go back and listen to the messages that we preached on this incredible book. We've loved it because it really teaches something that is crucial for us to understand as Christians. Paul, in case you haven't heard this, Paul, he went to this region on this incredible mission trip. And while he was in the region of Galatia, he planted four churches, went from one to the next. And in each case, he ran into some hostility. He was preaching this gospel that was unique and new uh, to the people that he was preaching it to. They'd never heard anything like it. Suddenly, instead of religion being preached to them, they were hearing this good news that God had come, that he'd sent his son to pay the penalty of our sin that we might be restored into right fellowship with God. And that this right standing with God, this righteousness could be obtained by grace through faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah who had come to set people free. And Paul was going, inviting people into this relationship with God by grace through faith as they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, this was unique because Judaism had always sort of taught that adherence to the law was an extremely important part of this puzzle. And even if they didn't understand uh, it in the, the wrong way completely, they still, at this point, felt like circumcision and the adherence to the ceremonial law was required for a person to come into salvation and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so there was conflict that was brewing here. But we understand that this gospel that Paul was preaching is true. That because scripture is true, we know that we are saved by Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. And that we received it even though we didn't deserve it by grace through faith. But the Judaizers, these Jewish people, came in behind Paul and they wanted to undo all the work that Paul had done. They wanted to say, well, yes, if you've come into relationship with Christ, that's, that's great, but you need to adhere to the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to begin following the ceremonial law. And Paul writes this letter back to these people. You see, they've gone in after he had left. Paul is gone at this point. And so he writes a letter to these people to fight back for the purity of the gospel because he knows that the gospel sets people free, that there is freedom in Christ. You see, sin had enslaved us and the law had enslaved us, but the law could not set us free from sin. It could not set us free from the law. Only Christ could do that. We needed a savior. We needed to be rescued from the curse that had come upon us because of sin. You see, we were rebellious sinners. We all wanted to be our own gods. We wanted to go our own way. And outside of Christ, we are absolutely guilty of sin and deserve the death penalty. We can't take that back. We can't undo all the evil that we had done. 
And we come into this world with a leaning towards sin, a sin nature. And we ourselves only have one hope, and that is that we find forgiveness and redemption and pardon from a God who is willing to do that. And that comes to us through the gospel and faith in Jesus. And so Paul writes this letter because he knew that some corrupted form of this gospel was no gospel at all, that a hybrid form of the gospel wasn't even the gospel. And he knew that it would put people back into slavery to the law. So we've been hanging around this verse in Galatians chapter five, verse one, it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul is saying, don't submit yourself again to the slavery that the law brings or the slavery of sin. See, Paul knew that the gifts of the gospel are received by faith, not through observance of the law. And so Galatians continually points to our new identity, our new position, if you will, in Christ, our sonship. In Christ, we were slaves, now we are sons. We were outside of Christ, now we are in Christ. But this final third of the book, he begins to shift his focus on how we fight to put what's true of our position into practice. How do we begin to live this out? And so we understand that because we've been positioned in Christ, we're called to put this new position into practice. So we've been saying this our new position empowers new practice because of what Christ has done. We are in Christ and we have Christ in us who empowers us to be a new creation, to walk in holy living. The old is gone. The new has come. And this is all dependent on Christ in us. Just like our salvation is, is came to us through Christ, our sanctification, our progressive and continual, eventual transformation into what God intended us to be comes by grace through faith, but he fills us with the power to begin living this out. And so we get this. The same is true for transformation and our progressive sanctification. So we've been freed from the law that condemned us, and we've been given everything we need in Christ to live lives of obedient worship for the glory of God. So God's grace forgives us, and it empowers us to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And that's an inside-out process. That's how it works. Galatians is all about coming to total dependence on the Spirit of God as we walk in the Spirit rather than the flesh for our salvation and our transformation. You have to give up on this idea that we can make it on our own, that we could somehow make ourselves acceptable to God independently of the grace of God through some sort of religion, external behavioral modification. And that's not how we do this. So if you heard last week's message, which was a tough one, if you heard last week's message and thought this is a good excuse to begin focusing on the external again, to begin focusing on the law, and let me remind you the whole reason Galatians was written. Uh, people were suggesting that circumcision, adherence to the law, could somehow solve all of our problems, that they were required for salvation, that circumcised believers were somehow on another level uh, from common Gentile Christians that this was a false teaching that shifted the focus uh, from the saving work of Jesus on the cross, the finished work of Jesus, onto our external credentials, which Paul continually uh, diminishes. And it led to some error that robbed the gospel of grace. And Paul said that that hybrid, messed up, corrupted gospel was no gospel at all. So because we believe in Scripture alone, we know that we are saved in Christ alone. 
by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. So keep that in mind as we continue on this week. I hope that recap helps you a little bit. But we get this, our new position empowers this whole new practice. Our new position empowers a new practice. And so we get this, that in Christ we have this opportunity to do good for the glory of God. And this passage, I think, is an amazing reminder of this truth, that we are farmers, right? We are farmers. We choose every day to plant seed that will one day reap a harvest. We will one day see a harvest from what we're planting today. So think about that for a second. You are working the field of your life, the field of the future, every single day. So I feel like I need to ask you a tough question. What are you planting? It's important for us to be able to answer, what are you planting? With the one short life that you have, what are you sowing? What are you planting? So let's look in Galatians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 6 today. Let's read this together. It says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. What an impressive, awesome piece of scripture that we get to wrap our head around this morning. So let's get some context of this scripture so that we apply it correctly. Galatians 6, verse 6 begins. It says, let the one who taught, who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, I get this. It's a little bit awkward because I'm teaching right now. <laughs> and you guys are amazing. You take care of Steve and I so incredibly well, and we're so grateful for that. Uh, we're not the only ones serving, though, and we, we pray that God moves us in this direction. But this does set a tone and a context for what we're going to learn the rest of the way. You see, the situation in Galatia was very, very early in how Christianity was beginning to spread. The, the church was just beginning to form. There was no real organized systems that were leading the church at this point. Paul really doesn't even begin talking about deacons or elders for possibly another you know, 15, 20 years after this. It's a, several years pass before those even come up in his writings. But there were individuals who were teaching, and Paul understood the situation of those who were doing this, who were teaching, because he was a teacher and appealed to churches to be sure to share with those people, uh, to take responsibility for those who were teaching the word of God to them. And so this word share comes from this word that you may have heard, koinonia, which is almost like a, a spiritual community of sharing where no one has need of anything. And that's what he's calling them to. So the immediate context of this passage is, is all about stewardship. It's about uh, the, understanding this principle that's, that how, how we sow into things matters, that there will reap a harvest. It teaches a principle that is helpful, uh, certainly in the immediate context here, but we can apply it even beyond stewardship. There's no avoiding here that he is talking about how we share what we have. But then he shifts gears in the next verse. He says, 
do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So Paul sets up this bold statement in this section with some kind of intimidating words. He says, do not be deceived, implying that there's a possibility that we could be deceived about what he's about to say, about something. It's possible that we could be making decisions in our life based on lies. We could be deceived in areas of our life. This is great to in humility look at the word of God and, and, and understand that it can rescue us from possible deception in our life, that what we believe could actually be wrong and that we need to look to the word of God for that correction. But Paul says, don't be deceived. And then he shifts. He says, God will not be mocked. God won't be mocked. And when I hear this, when I look at the context of the book of Galatians, my, my heart kind of goes right into this whole thing. And I understand that we are free in Christ by grace through faith. Therefore, it is possible that we could mock the gospel. We could mock God in one of these two ways. And certainly in legalism. And our definition of legalism is attempting to secure righteousness in God's sight by good works and adherence to the law separate from God's grace and his mercy. You see, we can mock Jesus in our pride saying, I can do it in our, on my own. And if we're trying to appease God on our own, we're going to get the results that we earned on our own. And if you look honestly at the law, that you will see the same thing that's true about me, is that the law condemns all of us as sinners and lawbreakers. You see, the wages of sin is death. And if you put your hope in your flesh, your circumcision or some external credentials, wow, through your flesh-driven effort for salvation, then you're going to reap what you earned, which Scripture teaches us that that is wrath, that the wages of sin is death. Legalism points us to salvation by adherence to the law, but the problem is we didn't do it. We couldn't do it. We're lawbreakers. We've got to return to grace. The other way we can mock God is through license, and that's mocking the gospel, mocking the work of Christ in our selfishness, saying, well, now that I have my ticket to heaven, I can sin all I want because God will just forgive me. And we find ourselves saying things like, you know, I'll get to know him when I get to heaven. I don't need to worry about that. You know, for now, I'm just going to kind of go solo. You know, this attitude results in people you know, wanting the blessings of God without actually wanting to, to have God himself. We, we sort of say, well, God wants me to be happy. He'll understand. He'll forgive me. And we take advantage of God's grace. And so I, I feel like this is important to say, if you think salvation is, is your, like a license, so to speak, for you to continue on sinning and with greater boldness. If your response to what Jesus did on the cross, his death, his resurrection, only makes you more bold in your rebellion against God, I dare say that you have not been born again. The Spirit of God may not be in you because the Spirit in us cries out, Abba, Father, and longs to obey our God. And so if you're in a place where, cool, I got saved, now I can sin all I want and I'll go to heaven, 
then I wonder if Christ is in you because that is not the attitude of Christ. It's not me trying to be judgmental, but I think it's important for us to hear this. Paul says, do not be deceived. There's a possibility that we could be deceived in this area. So understand that God changes us from the inside out. And so if we desire to willfully, repeatedly, continually, and persistently rebel against God in the in the face of God's grace and the finished work of Christ on the cross, if our attitude is only, it makes us even bolder to sin, then we need to ask ourselves what's true about our salvation. See, freedom in Christ means that we are free from the control of sin, that we might be free to be controlled by the Holy Spirit in us. And so salvation always and eventually results in progressive transformation, always. Christ does not fail to do that work of transformation in us. So God will not be mocked in our attempt to find loopholes in the law or loopholes in some religion in order to avoid genuine worship and submission to God. Not some loophole in the gospel that allows us to approach life any way we want to. He's not saying that. He's saying don't be deceived. God's grace through Jesus is a gift from God and his gospel is not to be toyed with or modified. So Paul begins to shift after he says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. I believe in context of the book, he's warning us about these two things. Don't return back to the law and don't go so far as to use the gospel as license to sin. He shifts and begins teaching us this principle of the harvest. And he says this, he says that you will reap what you sow. And, and this is how I explain the principle of the harvest in three different things. The first one is that you will reap what you sow. And so if you sow corn, all right, then you're not going to harvest potatoes. If you sow corn, you're going to reap corn. So this is really simple. Every farmer gets this. If you've ever had a garden, you understand this, that you reap what you sow. But you also reap later than you sow, all right? And this is important for us to get. You don't see the harvest immediately. You don't go out and plant a bunch of corn in the morning and by evening uh, go out and be frustrated at the ground because you're not seeing corn coming up. It doesn't happen in a day. It's not an immediate thing. It usually comes later and often in an entirely different season when you begin to see the harvest. So you reap later than you sow. And the third thing is that you reap more than you sow. You can start off with a handful of seed and you'll end up with that multiplied many times over, quite a bit more than you planted. So you reap more than you sow. And so there are two dangers as we look at the principle of the har harvest that might lead you to misunderstand what Paul is really trying to say here. So hear me on this. Is The first thing is, this is not karma, okay? We're not, we're not teaching karma. There's not some external force somewhere that's controlling all this and making sure that you get what you deserve, that you get what's coming to you. What goes around comes around. And some people teach this like it's karma, and I, I think that that is a mistake. This isn't karma, okay? This, the second thing is this is not undoing everything that Paul just wrote about the grace of God and his work in us about salvation and grace through faith. Now, this is a natural principle that occurs on a farm, uh, but it's not quite a universal principle when it's applied to human lives. We do reap what we sow. We do reap later than we sow. And we do reap more than we sow. But I think it's important that we recognize that God often and has often supernaturally intervened in our lives to supernaturally save us 
from the harvest of much of what we naturally deserve because of how we have made choices in our life. And so I'm grateful for God's grace that I've not yet reaped everything that I deserve in regards to uh, my sinful behavior. Thank you, God, for your grace, right? But this is a principle that is true, a pattern that is true in our lives of the the course of a life, you'll see this principle come true in our lives. And so this is not, don't misunderstand this, this is not saying sow a good life and reap a ticket to heaven. That's not the gospel, okay? It's not saying sow a bad life and you go to hell. That's not what it's saying. The truth is that uh, that's not the gospel that Paul's been preaching this entire book. So the reality is that in regards to our eternal destiny, we were all sinners, and Jesus took the harvest of our sinfulness on the cross. How beautiful is that? That we might receive the harvest of his righteousness and receive eternal life. Man, we did not deserve that. This supersedes the natural law of the harvest, and by grace through faith, supernaturally, we are able to receive something we didn't earn, something we didn't deserve, and we continually see the general grace of God even in this life. He reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. Our God is a good and gracious God, but this is not an undoing of the gospel. Jesus took what we deserved so that we could receive what he deserves. So in regards to our eternal destiny, uh, we trust in the gospel. Don't turn this verse into a pathway for salvation through human effort. It's not that. So Paul just talked about, uh, just put back in context, just talked about sharing with teachers. And then after this, he shifts gears and talks about how we have the opportunity to do good to everyone. So this isn't karma and Paul is not undoing everything that he wrote. This is Paul saying that we are farmers, right? That we who've been saved by grace through faith have this opportunity to plant something with our lives. I hope you hear that, that we can plant something with our lives. I know you probably love going to the LJ Apple Houses. I love that. You walk in and there's just beautiful, bountiful harvest everywhere. Gorgeous apples and fruit and vegetables all over the place. It's a beautiful thing. And, and I want you to have that picture in your mind because there does come a harvest when you plant. And we can look at that and focus on the negative and I think, hey, we should hear a good warning there. But I think what Paul is trying to get across to us is this encouragement to understand that we're farmers and that we have the opportunity to plant something that will bring about a harvest. And so he gives us two choices, all right? Two choices on how we plant. He said, you can sow to the flesh or you can sow to the spirit. You can sow to the flesh or you can sow to the spirit. So let's make sure we get this right. So first off, what's sowing to the flesh? And I'll put it this way. We sow to the flesh by planting seeds in our lives that say yes to the flesh, even when it means saying no to God. And so Paul warns us, he says, don't sow to the flesh. Don't sow to please the flesh, as some translations put it. Don't make yourself comfortable, happy, satisfied all the time. If that's all you're sowing toward, then you're going to reap corruption and decay. Listen, if you make your life all about you, about the here, about the now, about what you want all the time, you're sowing to the flesh. And if you find yourself saying, you know, like I said before, God will forgive me. I need this. You know, I'm just going to do what I need to do. God will understand. He wants me to be happy. Then we're mocking God and we're planting a seed that we're going to harvest later in life. 
but he just made this huge list, okay, of this harvest that you can look forward to if you sow in the flesh. He's trying to warn us not to do that. It's not a pretty list. In fact, I don't even really enjoy reading it, but I'm going to. He said that we have this opportunity, that the, the works of the flesh are this. He said sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, just, or drunkenness. And he goes on and this, he makes this whole list of, of things that are done to satisfy our fleshly desires or to obtain power to manipulate other people to satisfy our fleshly desires. And so when you sow to the flesh, honestly, you're going to do anything it requires to appease and to feed the flesh, including disobey God. And if you plant to satisfy the flesh in the soil of your life, in the soil of your heart, in the soil of your marriage, in the soil of your family, then hear me on this, the harvest is going to be decay. It's going to be corruption. So if you plant seed to satisfy the flesh, your harvest is going to result in these full-grown works of the flesh that we're seeing here. That's what's going to rise up. And when we behave like that, when we do the things that are in that list, uh, that results in decay and destruction and pain. I mean, you heard the list, right? We know those things don't end well for us. The outcomes of those choices are not ones we want to repeat. Uh, it's, it's a tragic thing. So when those things become full grown, they, they reap a harvest. So if you trust in the flesh for satisfaction and you use it as a license or for your salvation, like legalism, that's depending on the flesh to, in a different way, but you will find decay as your harvest for that. If you sow to the flesh, if you live to the flesh, I've got some really bad news. I want you to think about this. If you're living to satisfy the flesh, that your flesh is actually decaying. It doesn't last forever. If you live to satisfy the needs of your body in this physical life, then you're going to be really disturbed to be reminded that it's not going to last another hundred years. Whatever age you are, listen, the eternal result of living for the flesh is decay. It will soon be dust. So don't make it your God. Don't let it run your life. It's going to return to dust. And so here's the thing. Is, is this body, is this life our God? Are we living to please our body? If so, then in a hundred years, then we're going to have a mound of dust and decay to show for it. And that's not the harvest that we want. I hope that makes us all think. And so as we ask this question, what are you planting? Let's look at this the way that Paul, I think, wants us to see it. He says, sow to the Spirit. And so we sow to the Spirit by planting seed in our lives that honors and obeys the Spirit of God in us, okay? We sow seed that honors God, that obeys God in our life. It's, it's farming the field of our life in a way that almost like it belongs to God because it does, right? We're, we're remembering that we're farming ground that we've been given by God. It's sowing seed in our life that honors and pleases and obeys the Spirit of God in us. It's it's living with our hope in the Spirit of God rather than in our flesh. So sowing to the, the Spirit is a result, I believe, of seeing the gospel truthfully, which is why Paul spends the whole first two-thirds of this book trying to help us see the gospel clearly. He wants us to see it in truth, that we're saved from sin, that we're saved from the penalty that we deserve, but we're also saved to live lives of worship 
and, and obedience and freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so the gospel changes us from the inside out. It creates in us a new motivation and gives us a new power to put into practice what's true of our position. So if we trust in God and in his spirit for salvation, that's going to result in eternal life because we have Christ in us. He says, sowing to the spirit is in fact walking in the spirit, which is what he keeps calling us to. And so when you were saved, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and Galatians calls us to walk in the Spirit. So sowing in the flesh is living to please the flesh. But sowing in the Spirit is all about planting seeds that will honor and glorify God and obey God when the harvest comes. So it means sometimes we have to tell our flesh to wait. Or sometimes we just straight up say no to our flesh and don't let it be our boss. And when it wants something God has forbidden, uh, we put up a blockade and we're like, I'm not going there. Uh, we reckon ourselves, as Paul says in Romans, dead to sin, unwilling to disobey God to satisfy the constant cravings of our flesh. And we say yes to the Spirit and pursue God's heart through many different ways, through the study of scriptures that we might find the heart of God. We memorize and meditate on it that we might come to understanding and wisdom and engraft those things into our life. And then we actually do what it says. The act of obedience begins to deepen our intimacy with God. And we say yes to loving our wives. We say yes to loving our children. We say yes to honoring our parents. We say yes to prayer. We say yes to Christian community through the church. We say yes to accountability and a sacrifice and giving. We say yes to the things that God has called us to, to forgiveness instead of revenge. And we say yes to serving instead of demanding that we be served. See, here's what Paul said the harvest would look like. This is good news. Uh, this is what the apple house of your life will look like if you sow to the Spirit. This is cool. He says this in chapter 5, verse 22. He said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so if you sow to the Spirit, He's going to cause these traits to come out of your life because the Spirit of God is in you. And he'll develop them in your heart progressively. Okay, it happens over time. But if you sow into the Spirit, you will reap a beautiful and bountiful harvest of character. And those character traits, when they're full grown, produce a life that reaps a harvest, that comes out with outcomes that glorify and honor God, the owner of the field of our lives. Others will be blessed. Others will hear the gospel through the work of God done in your life. They'll see it at work in your life and then later in theirs. People will be saved. Generations will be transformed. You'll see, they'll see truth and experience the gospel in ways they never would have. And they'll sense the love of God when you're around because the fruit of the Spirit will be coming out of you. It will be a beautiful harvest and it's worth sowing to the Spirit. So that's the principle of the harvest. You reap what you sow later than you sow and more than you sow. So sow to the Spirit. And so back to our question, what are you planting? <laughs> Remember, we are farmers. What are you planting? I think it's appropriate for us to step back and look at our life and see what it is that we're investing in. And so if you see this, uh, I think that you've got to evaluate a little bit. And the quickest way you can do it is follow the trail of your time, your talent, and your treasure. And when you get to the end of that trail, it will reveal uh, what you 
what you're planting, all right? It'll reveal, reveal where you're headed. And in that trail, if you only find things that satisfy the flesh, then you're sowing to the flesh. You need to make some adjustments. If you're already sowing to the Spirit, then, hey, that's awesome. Do good to everyone and don't quit. Stay at it. Don't give up. A harvest is coming. And so that's the deal. If you want to know where you're investing, follow that trail and then make adjustments if you need to sow to the Spirit. So the third thing we want to get here is that God has called us to do good to everyone. Paul says that it's important for us to do that. Remember, he began this talking about stewardship, talking about sharing with uh, other teachers uh, and, and investing your life in people that are pushing the gospel forward. And this is another way we invest our time, our talent, and our treasure in the world around us by doing good to everyone. He, Paul is saying, so to the Spirit, do good to everyone, especially believers, all right? Invest in those that are doing that. And so Paul suggests that, and this is the principle, that what we plant in this life will impact eternity. Now, to me, that's profound, and that kind of strikes me as, as a beautiful thought. That, that we can sow to the flesh and reap corruption, decayed dust in a hundred years. That's really all there'll be. Or you can sow to the Spirit, trust in Jesus for salvation, not your flesh. And if you do so, the result will be uh, that you get to take part in sharing the message of eternal life with others. That's what we're called to do. Do good to everyone. Make sure that you're living a life that proclaims the gospel through kindness, through love, through sharing the love of God with people around you. And I pray that God will reveal ways that, that you can do good to the people in your life, especially those brothers and sisters in Christ, but to everyone. And I think that's a distinctive about us as we begin to share and, and do good. So, hey, get after it. Go and do good to people and invest your life. Sow to the Spirit and do what is good. So that's the third thing. The fourth thing is this. If you're doing good to everyone, you need to hear what Paul says next. He says, don't give up. And he appeals to us. He says, look to the harvest. Look ahead for the harvest. And so he says, don't give up. And he says, if we don't give up, we're going to reap a harvest. He's calling us. He's saying, don't give up. You know, I, I think it's hard uh, for us as believers to consistently do good to everyone uh, Calvin had a quote that strikes me. It's a little bit intense. <laughs> uh, I don't know if this would fly well on Twitter if he posted this, but listen to his heart in this. He said, as a, a pastor in the, during the Reformation, he said, we are naturally lazy in the duties of love, and many little stumbling blocks hinder and put off even the well-disposed. We meet with many unworthy, many ungrateful people. The vast number of the needy overwhelms us. We are drained by paying out on every side and our warmth is damped by the coldness of others and finally the whole world is full of hindrances which turn us aside from the right path calvin giving us a little window into his struggle shows that it's it there is reason for us to grow weary of doing good uh, calvin experienced it uh, everyone who's ever tried to do good i'm sure you have experienced it when you tried to do good for a myriad of different reasons there are things that are uh, working in our hearts that cause us to get fatigued, where we get weary in doing the right thing. But what Paul is saying here is that don't give up. And he points us to our motivation that, that we can look forward to a harvest. 
And so he says, you will reap what you sow. And that's a good thing. So, I mean, when we look at the, the negative side of this, you hear one side of it. But Paul is appealing to the positive side. He's saying, keep sowing to the Spirit. Keep doing good. You're going to reap what you sow in this. And I know that some of you look at this and you say, well, I have been, Eric. I have been sowing to the Spirit. I've been doing some of the right things. And I know I'm not perfect, but... I just want to see some fruit. I want to see some of this rise. I want to see a harvest in my life. And listen, if there's a delay to this, if God has not yet brought a harvest in your life uh, of, of all of these things we've been talking about, then I want you to know, even if you don't see it, it's growing. It's coming in your life. Remember that you reap later than you sow. Keep going. Don't give up. Keep going. It reaps later than you sow. The harvest is going to come. Your character is building. God's spirit is working and he will use you. So don't give up on the work that you're doing. Don't give up on your spouse. You know, keep doing good to them. Hear this. Don't give up on your kids. Keep doing good to them. Don't give up on your Bible reading, on your prayer, uh, on your church attendance. Don't give up. Don't give up on the sacrifices that you're making. Don't give up on sharing your faith. Don't give up on praying for your lost family members. Listen, if, if you could hear the saints and the cloud of witnesses cheering all around you, they would be saying to you, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because they see that there already has been a harvest and there will continually be a harvest. Paul is saying there will be a harvest and it will be worth it. Paul's encouraged them to keep on loving others, to keep on doing good to them, to keep on planting seeds of love because in due season there will be a harvest. And when we look at the places in our life that we care about most, that is an encouraging word. And so don't give up. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This scripture, the author of Hebrews says, consider Jesus and all the suffering he went through and this cloud of witnesses and don't lose heart. If you look at anything other than Jesus, you're gonna lose heart. If you're just looking at the ground all the time, you're gonna lose heart. You've got to look to Christ. You've got to fix your eyes on him and look to the harvest. It is going to come because Christ does what he says he will do. You see, in conclusion, when we get to heaven, there is going to be a reward. And listen, our ultimate reward is God himself. He is our reward. All the stuff that's there is great, but God himself is our reward. And listen, I don't know, but I long to hear him look at me and say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. I beg God's spirit to do a work in me that that would be a true statement when God speaks that. Listen, that's what I live for. And that's why I don't lose heart. It's because I long to please God and to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant.
Now, there are other rewards, and some of these rewards will be crowns. And there's this beautiful scene in God's throne room that we're allowed to see through the eyes of John in Revelation chapter 4. He writes this, he said, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Listen, Christ is working in you to cultivate a harvest, and in the end, he will receive glory for the work that he has done in you. He will bring a harvest in you and it will be to his credit for the glory of God alone that he has worked powerfully in your life. And so there will be a harvest. And many, we're praying that the harvest of the, as the seeds of the gospel that are sown into our hearts and around us of the spirit inside of you that they would bear fruit and yield a harvest in our lives that, that it would bring about a reward that would result in praise and glory and honor to our God. So I urge you, be sure that you are planting so that there is not a harvest of decay and dust in a hundred years, but instead focus on this truth that because of your position in Christ, you're able to put into practice what is true of your position and you can sow in the spirit. And we ask that, that God would let it produce the fruits of the spirit in our lives, that it may bring about glory and honor to the King of Kings and a blessing to others. So we have heard the word of God in this area. Let's not just be hearers of the word. Let's do what it says and glorify God. You're a farmer. What are you planting? Are you sowing to the flesh? Are you sowing to the spirit? There will be a harvest. Let's make sure that harvest brings glory to God and a blessing to the people that God has called us to. Thank you for being here this morning. Pray that God really blesses your family. Let's ask God to to work in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message of hope that you tell us not to grow weary in doing good. It is also a warning that we need to not make a mockery of the gospel to fall into license or or fall into legalism. But, But God, you have made something true in us that we might be able to glorify you and honor you with our life. And so, God, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, that they would be invited by your spirit into fellowship with you through the gospel. They put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Those of us who are are believers, God, we pray that you would make it true of us, that you would grow us in this area, that we would invest our lives, that our time, talent, and treasure would be sown to the spirit rather than the flesh, and that there would be a harvest that brings you glory. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. If you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.